There are just some things in life um, that are so unlikely to happen that it really does become laughable to think that they ever could happen. For example, if I was to share with you that one of my personal goals for the year is to represent Australia at the Paris Olympic Games later this year in athletics, that's in the realm of laughable event. Even though it's technically possible, I looked it up, nominations for the athletics team don't close till mid-April, so I've got three months to get into shape, put in some good times, theoretically possible. But you're looking at me and thinking, nah, nah, nah. that's laughable. <laughs> Four months maybe, yeah, good on you. Thank you. <laughs> In this morning's Bible reading, did you notice some people laugh at Jesus? Because they reckon something Jesus says he can do, they reckon it's as likely as me making the Olympic squad. During this summer series, we've been looking at quite a few ways that different people have reacted to Jesus. A couple of weeks back, we read how people in Jesus' own hometown of Nazareth, they actually ran, ran Jesus out of town because of what he was claiming about himself. Last week, the Jewish religious leaders, they quizzed Jesus and eventually became furious over what Jesus was claiming about himself. And this week, some people just outright laugh at him. And yet what Jesus actually goes on to do it highlights that he is not someone to laugh off. He is a king that we can depend on. Let's discover how by thinking through this morning's reading in terms of two desperate people, two amazing miracles, and finally one astonishing king. It's not often two plus two equals one. This morning it does. Two desperate people combined with two amazing miracles adds up to one astonishing king. Let's start by meeting the two desperate people. Verse 40 has set the scene for their introduction. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Now, where it says there that Jesus returned, that's referring to Jesus returning to the region of Galilee after spending some time in Gentile, non-Jewish regions over the other side of the Lake of Galilee. Now, Jews did not normally go over there. And part of Jesus' reason for doing it was probably to escape the crowds for a while. His absence, however, has done nothing to dampen people's interest. And so we're told that virtually the moment he steps back ashore, he gets mobbed. The reason is that he's been doing some phenomenal things around Galilee. He's been calming storms. He's been healing people from all manner of diseases. He's been casting out evil spirits. And so men and women from all walks of life, they are now flocking to Jesus because they can sense that here is a person who can actually help them with their problems. And so we meet our first desperate person. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. The man is desperate. 
We're told that when he eventually gets to the crowd, he falls at Jesus' feet. That's significant because we're also told that he's a synagogue leader. So this is a well-known person in the community. This is a man who back then would have been high up the social pecking order. That's why he gets named. Jairus is a known person. He is a recognisable public figure. And he pushes through the crowd and he collapses at Jesus' feet and pleads with him. This is a powerful scene. A well-known leader of the community has arrived in the crowd and in front of everyone, not even caring what anyone thinks, he has fallen to his knees and he is begging Jesus to help him. Can you imagine falling to the ground in front of anyone? And yet such is the majesty of Jesus that that is actually the appropriate way to approach him. He is God's king. Mind you, it's not 100% clear whether or not Jairus completely understands that about Jesus yet. It's probably more the case that the guy is desperate. He'll try anything and anyone. Because remember, his daughter isn't just sick. She's dying. But he's heard that Jesus has helped other people. Maybe he'll be able to help his little girl as well. Anything's worth a try. But before we even discover whether it is worth a try... A second desperate person arrives on the scene. Verse 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could heal her. Notice again the desperation of this new person, now a woman. We're specifically told that this is a chronic problem that no one else has been able to help with. 12 years of bleeding. 12 years of bouncing from one doctor to the next. 12 years of trying one treatment after the other and nothing has helped. Unlike Jairus, this woman is not named. And also, unlike Jairus, her approach to Jesus is not open and public. It's a little bit more discreet and secretive. It adds to the feeling of her isolation and her desperation. She's unnamed and unnoticed. She's a nobody who no one has been able to help. But she's not a nobody to Jesus. And he can help. As having now met our two very different desperate people, Jesus is about to step up to the plate and perform two amazing miracles to show that he can help anyone with anything. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. Now I don't know what Jesus... Sorry, I don't really know what this woman thought might happen by touching Jesus the way she did. I don't think she was expecting anything as staggering as this. Immediately. 4,380 days of bleeding stops like that. Who is this man? I reckon that's what crossed her mind because the next few verses tell us that Jesus realises something has happened, so he asks who touched him. It's a silly question at one point because we know from verse 20. 
42, sorry, that the crowd is so big that they're almost crushing Jesus. So everyone's been touching him, pressing in on him to some extent. But Jesus knows what he means. So does the woman. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Here now in our reading is a second person on the ground at the feet of Jesus. Jairus came begging for help. This woman is now trembling with fear after being helped. Because again, who on earth is this man? Twelve years of bleeding instantly stops the moment she just touches his clothing? She's probably just shell-shocked at the level of power and authority that is simply oozing out of this man. So has she overstepped the mark by touching him without his permission? Is she in trouble now because this Jesus is clearly someone you don't want to be in trouble from? Jesus looks down at the woman and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Everything about that statement is saturated with tenderness. He calls her daughter. Reassures her that she's not in trouble. Commends her faith. Mind you, it's important to understand what Jesus is actually getting at there because some people have this mistaken idea of faith in the same way as the power of positive thinking. You know, you just, you just got to have faith. And if you have enough faith, then your faith will make things happen. The Bible never talks about faith like that. In the Bible, the important thing about faith is not how much you have, it's what your faith is in. And so, for example, I might have faith that I can fly to Sydney by flapping my arms like a bird. And I, I, I might truly believe that I can, but as utterly convinced and as positive as I might feel about that, it's not going to happen. I'm not going anywhere by just flapping my arms. But if I get on an aeroplane, then I can fly to Sydney. In fact, no matter how nervous a flyer I am, no matter how anxiously I get onto the aeroplane, no matter how little faith I have in the aeroplane, it'll still get me there. Because it's not how much faith I have that matters. It's what we put our faith in. A desperate woman has just put her faith in Jesus. And he didn't disappoint her. Yeah, her faith healed her, not because of how much she had, but because it was in Jesus. Mind you, spare a thought for the other desperate person standing off to the side in all of this. I'm not sure how Jairus would be feeling at the moment. On the one hand, I'm sure it's great to see that Jesus has this much power. It all goes well that he might be able to help his little girl. But remember, his little girl, she's dying. So any delay in getting Jesus to her, that can't be good. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. 
before that tuck return. It's over now. I mean, while his daughter was alive, at least there was some hope. Now that's gone. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Like when someone's died, that's it. Nothing more now than to go home, make arrangements for the funeral and grieve. Thanks for at least being willing to come, Jesus, but don't want to bother you anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. She'll be healed. Now friends, I want you to imagine being there. I want you to imagine not having heard the reading earlier. Imagine not knowing how this is going to end. Imagine being there and hearing Jesus say that. Don't be afraid. Just believe she'll be healed. Surely he's not saying he can still help this little girl. She's died. Oh, look, I know he's impressive, he's, he's, but raising someone from the dead? Next you'll be telling me I'm going to make the Olympic team. We're in the laughable category here. That's what the mourners think when Jesus arrives at Jairus' house. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. I half wonder whether that's got to be one of the biggest understatements in the Bible. Her parents were astonished. And we, the reader, should be more so because we have now just witnessed two desperate people experience two amazing miracles and it's all adding up to one astonishing king. A king that you don't laugh at this is a king you want to depend on. And you can. In anything. Because the magnitude of what Jesus is capable of doing has just gone through the roof. I mean, he's been crisscrossing Galilee doing amazing things, but now this. It's sort of like that experience that you sometimes have. You know when you're struggling to get the lid off a bottle? or the top off a jar, and you just, as much as you try, you can't get it off, and say so you give it to someone else to have a go, and they just go, comes off first go. And you go through all those lame excuses, you know, oh, I must have weakened it. Jesus is going around Galilee, and all these things that no one else has come close to doing, calming storms, healing all manner of sicknesses, death. Jesus has just come along and without any apparent effort whatsoever, he has conquered every single one of them. And Luke's gospel is showing us this so that we might know that here at last is a person we can depend on. The other previous interactions that we've seen these past two Sundays, they've reinforced the point that Jesus is God's king. 
Here are now two interactions that reinforce that, yeah, he is God's king and he is a king who can help. And he can help anyone. Whether you are a well-known public figure like Jairus or whether you feel overlooked and invisible to the world like that poor woman, Jesus can help anyone with anything. Luke's gospel, as it moves to its conclusion, it'll especially show us this through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus will take on himself our punishment so that we can be reconciled back to God. He will remove our fear of dying by granting us a new life we don't deserve beyond this one. But the comfort of what we are seeing about Jesus this morning, it's not just confined to the fear of death. What we are seeing of King Jesus this morning, this floods reassurance into whatever we're afraid of. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Because what are you fearful at the moment of? I'm sure there's something that you're feeling anxious about. I've got more things than I can count. Being fearful and anxious, it's a very human condition because we constantly face difficult things. The next medical test. The next difficult conversation. Job uncertainty. Money worries. Struggles with addiction. Relationship problems. Mental health challenges. These are real things. They bear down on us. And Luke wants to reassure us with who King Jesus is and what he is capable of doing. And I realise that it does not always work out the way it did for the people in today's passage. I mean, for Jairus and the woman, Jesus removed completely what they were afraid of, which would be wonderful to have someone walk into our life and calm every storm and completely heal every illness. We long for that. And there was a time in Jesus' ministry when he did that so as to unambiguously show what he was capable of. And look, it can still happen. But not always. Sometimes Jesus' power is best shown when he doesn't remove what we're fearful of, but instead he gives us the courage and the endurance to get through it. But whatever the case, we can still be encouraged by what we discover of Jesus this morning. Because whatever you are afraid of at the moment, please hear this, whatever it is and whoever you are, you are never going to ask Jesus for something he can't do. So let's be bold in our prayers. And even if our prayers are not answered in the way that we would choose, don't forget the gentleness and the tenderness of Jesus on display this morning as well. Not just his capacity to help, but his willingness to help. And so if Jesus' help does not come in the way that we may have most wanted, don't then question his goodness. Entrust yourself to his wisdom and his gentleness. Be comforted by the fact 
that Jesus can bring good out of anything. And he can get us through anything. For in this morning's passage, we meet two desperate people who experience two amazing miracles. And Luke is wanting to show us that Jesus is such an astonishing king. It's actually laughable to think that he can't help. Of course he can. I'll pray. Father, thank you for your Son, our Saviour and King, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his tenderness, his compassion, his power. Thank you that he is indeed one that we can entrust our whole life to. Help us to live all for him. Amen.